Let us pray. Our precious Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to study your word tonight. We trust you to teach us and to grant us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are on the role of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth. This will be part three of this series that we are doing. Our text is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So we have to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth life. The text we read says, we receive the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world that talks from human point of view, but the spirit which is of God. The reason is that if he teaches us and helps us to know the things that Jesus freely paid for us to have. And these things are the things that make us exactly what God wants us to be. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit, like we said last time, is first of all, to testify of Jesus. To testify of Jesus. In John 15, 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. TPT says he will speak to you about me. So we get straight away that the Holy Spirit came to talk about Jesus. Not the laws of Moses. To talk about Jesus. Not methods. Not rituals. Not ten steps to this. No. To talk about Jesus to us. John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus is the truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. Fourth thing, he shall glorify me. He will glorify Jesus, he will testify about Jesus, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. We are joined hairs with Jesus. Everything he got from the Father is ours. His life is yours. My life is mine. He gave us his life, gave us all his privileges, his position, his righteousness. All that is his is what the Holy Spirit will reveal to us because they belong to us too. He's become my life. He's become my all and all and sent for each one of us. John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but he shall be with you. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So one way he guides us into all truth is to reveal the truth himself, who is Christ Jesus. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ asked a very important question. Very, very important question. Because this determines a lot in our spiritual growth. In Matthew 16, 15, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? 
who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Remember, we have the Spirit of God to reveal to us things that are freely given to us, the revelation of who Christ is. Jesus said, human beings don't teach about me. They don't know me. That's why God gave his spirit. He can speak through human beings, but he is the ultimate revealer of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Remember, the Bible calls it a mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's the mystery of godliness, So he teaches us through people he has appointed and anointed to teach us. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by words or our epistles. You have to hold the truths that you were taught because he appointed those people. He's the one speaking through them, teaching through them. So we said we need to have a teachable heart. If the Holy Spirit is ministering to us, we should honor him, respect him, show a desire to know, because he is the ultimate teacher. He's God. And that attitude is very critical, very important, because if we have the wrong attitude, we quench him. We're not going to hear anything from him. And so, the scripture says in James 1.21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and spirituality of uh, nothingness. Nothingness is being naughty. He's doing, doing um, childish things, things that are not, really, you know, just acting like kids. Being mischievous, really. Like he's teaching and you're playing games, you're watching um, Internet, you know, doing stuff like that shows serious disrespect. Right? So the Bible says we should put away all those kind of mischievous behaviors and receive with meekness. What is meekness? Easily entreated. A heart that is easily entreated. Easily responsive. Response quickly. So... We receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Luke 8, 18. So pay attention to how you hear. Why? To those who listen to my teaching, those who listen, we're talking about proper attitude to give it attention, to show a desire, to show I want to learn. Those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given them. The Spirit of God will give them understanding. Now, but for those who are not listening, they're not interested in it, those who say they know everything, now even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. And the Holy Spirit, when he's teaching, is not talking to your intellect. 
By our intellect, we can't understand spiritual things. There are two worlds that are real. The spirit world is real. The natural world is real. The spirit world is even more real than the natural world. There are spiritual beings. There are natural beings. And so when the Holy Spirit is talking to us, he's not talking to our intellect. Our intellect is not designed just like our eyes, our ear is not designed to see beyond the natural realm. It's designed to function in the natural, normal, physical world. And we need our eyes when dealing with physical things. If I don't have my eyes, I can't read this thing. So it's useful. If I don't have my ears, I can hear what I'm talking to know whether I'm talking too loud or whether you're hearing me or not. So these organs we have are very, very useful in dealing with natural, physical world. The earth in which we live is a physical world. So it's not useless. Like I said a couple of days ago, ministering to our wonderful women, somebody says that fanatics do not know they have a physical body. Then heathens do not know there's a spirit body. So we need our physical body and to take care of it so that we can function effectively in the physical world. That's your physical being. But there is your spiritual being, which is totally different from your physical being. The scripture says that as the body is dead without the spirit. So when your spirit leaves your body, your body dies. Quit means it is from your spirit that your body gets sustenance of life. When the spirit of a man leaves him, his body dies. Teaching us that the spirit world really sustains the physical world. So now there is a spirit being when you are a Christian. You are born again, born of God, created, not thinkered, created new, a spirit being. So when the Holy Spirit is talking, he's talking to that spirit being, not your natural being. Because your natural is not created or designed to relate with the unseen world of the spirit. Only your spirit part can relate with the spirit world. I've never been, I've never physically say I've, I don't have to put this one. I don't know whether I've never lived in the spirit world like those who die and go and come back. So I can't say whether they in the spirit world see us physically, but we here physically do not see them unless God opens your eyes. So when the Spirit of God is teaching you, he is really talking to your spirit component, your spirit man. Because what he's saying is not related directly in a way to the physical world. It's not physical knowledge he's giving. He's giving spiritual realities that are as real as the physical world is real. Now, when we make this distinction, 
it will help us to deploy the proper path when we're hearing the word of God. Because most people are, they don't remember this. So they deploy their intellect and they get confused. The carnal man does not understand the things of God. It is spiritually discerned. So now, the Bible calls this spirit being a hidden man. Because you don't see him. But he's a man. He's alive. It's real. First Peter 3, 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and beautiful spirit, which is very precious in sight of God. So when the Spirit of God is teaching us, we need to really listen from our spirit point of view and let him give us understanding beyond what you can articulate with your intellectual ability. Now, how does he teach us and speak to your spirit man? Acts 16, 14. We read this the last time. Let it be as repeating. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshipped God. And as she listened, you see what we said? The attitude is important. Very important. You pay attention, then he knows you want to hear. As he listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened that communication channel between his spirit and the spirit of this woman. The Lord did not open his intellect. Opened her heart. The heart is used to also refer to the spirit being in Bible language. So the Lord opened that communication between the spirit of God and her spirit. Remember, it says, to those who are listening, understanding is giving them. So there's an understanding that he gives you. And this is how he does it. So he opens that communication between him and that spirit. Now, this kind of activity, you can't understand it with your human knowledge because it doesn't happen. You know, there are three worlds, the physical world, the spiritual world, there is the mental world. In the mental world, I can, I can communicate with you at the mental level if you understand the subject I'm talking about. So we can talk mentally and we can communicate if we are the same, if you understand. If I'm an engineer and I'm talking to my brother here, we can communicate mentally in that language of engineers. But when somebody who is not an engineer comes, he can't communicate to us at that mental level because what we are talking about, he doesn't mentally know it. But this is spiritual communication. And the Bible says, it's the Holy Spirit that connects it to your spirit. How he does it, I don't know. But that's what the scripture says he does. He gives you understanding. He connects the thing to your spirit. So by your spirit, you understand the things that are not seen, that you can't even, it doesn't make sense physically to you. So God opened her heart. And she now accepted what Paul was saying. She accepted because now it makes sense to her. You know there are people who sit around you that this kind of thing may not make sense to them. 
One, they may not be listening. Two, they may not even be born again. So, but when revelation comes to you, it comes with accountability. The same way with everything that God gives you and me. God does not waste his resources, brethren. Know this. I'm telling you. This is why people, God calls them into ministry pretty long, God litters them. Because they're not faithful. And he says, if you're faithful in the little, then I will increase you. Faithfulness is accountability. We lose a lot from God because we don't understand that what God gives you, he expects accountability called faithfulness. If God gives you a husband, he expects you accountability. If he gives you a wife, he expects accountability. If he gives you children, he expects accountability. If he gives you money, God expects accountability. He said, so a faithful man who shall find. So I'm looking for somebody who will give me proper account of what I've invested in them. Remember he told the story about talents given to people. Then he came for them to give account of what he gave them. So when God gives us revelation, there's accountability, there's responsibility and accountability that comes with the revelation. So we must be faithful to what he gave us. So we use it, so we make use of it properly. So he gives us more. Now, 1 John 2, 24. So you must remain faithful to what you have heard, to what you have been taught from the beginning. See, there's accountability. If you do, conditional now, if you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Now, there are many Christians who have never really heard God talk to them. I'm not talking of audible voice, no. Month to month, they can't say that this is what God told them. I'm not talking about people who go around saying God told me. No, that's what, I'm, we're not into that. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about their personal life. They, they, they can't even be sure. They can't even, when someone says God talks to me, they're baffled. They're really baffled. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And when, with that kind of lifestyle, they've never believed for anything. Day to day, month to month, they've never believed for anything. And so they've never received anything. That's not the best life of a Christian. So the scripture says when we start learning to be accountable to what he teaches us, for instance, the, what he teaches you, that's him talking. Then the scripture says that your fellowship with him, your fellowship with the son and with the father, will be solidified. And it is in this fellowship you can hear him better, clearer, and understand what he's doing. We're going to talk about this much later. And verse 25 says, and in this fellowship we enjoy now the eternal life he promised us. You see, accountability, and he gives you more. 
more revelation, more enjoyment. The more you know, the more you, you, you experience the benefits of who Christ is. The, truth you, the more truth you know, the more free you are, the more faith you have, the more of divine blessings you experience, the more your life is like that of Christ. So this accountability is very important. Now, we know that the goal of knowing him, the goal of knowing Jesus, is not to be filled with information so that I can stand here and teach it or quote it. Quote is good, but that's not really the primary goal. The goal of knowing Jesus is not just to be healed. It's not just to prosper. The goal of knowing Jesus is to live his life. We just read it. He said, when we are accountable, then we can enjoy the eternal life he gave us. It's to live his life. That's the goal. In this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. That's the goal. That's the goal, brethren. That's the goal. More than anything else, do you know that miracles are temporary things? Lazarus was raised from the dead. But Lazarus finally died. He finally died. So the people that received tremendous, wonderful miracles at the time of Jesus finally passed away. They're wonderful, great. And I desire, I mean, I want one. I mean, I want miracle for everybody. But the thing that matters most is this life that Jesus died to give us. So that our fellowship with him starts from here and continues when we leave this earth. Continues. God thinks of eternity. God doesn't think of temporary things. God thinks of beyond now. Beyond now. So that we have fellowship with him forever. Now, if we realize that the goal of knowing Jesus is so that we can be in fellowship with him in living his life, then that would also be our goal. So that people see Christ, Christ who is alive in us, people see his, his activity through us. Galatians 5.15. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. These rituals, you say that's not what it's all about. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. What do you mean transformed into a new creation? Transformed into his life. He's the new life we have. He said, I came that you have life, have it more abundantly. He is the new life that we have. Whether this life is being seen, is that that's what matters most. Now, Galatians 4.19, my little children, I am in pain again over you, like a mother giving birth. I will feel this pain until people can look at you and see Christ. That is E-R-O-V, easy to read version. Easy to read version. It said, until people can look at you and see Christ. You know, Jesus, when he was here, said, when you see me, you see my father. And so that's the same arrangement that when people see you or see me, they see Christ. That is the goal. And so we need to hold tightly to this goal of knowing Christ and the purpose of it, really, 
First Timothy 6, 12. It says, fight the good fight for the true faith. True faith. What is that faith reaching out to? Look at the next line. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Our calling is to, is to live this eternal life. He said, the true faith holds tightly to that. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, have it more abundant. So a true, a true faith holds tightly to eternal life which God has called you, which you have confessed to well before many witnesses. Now Paul again testifies to this in Colossians 1, 6. He said, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. See what the gospel does, changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, how did they know this? Somebody taught them. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant. He is Christ's faithful servant, accountable. God found him faithful. You know, God knows our heart. Paul says that when I preach, I'm very careful because he sees me and knows what I'm saying. And I'm accountable to him for the word he gave me if I corrupted it. Paul was living in the consciousness of accountability to Christ. Even when he's preaching. A faithful servant. And he's helping us on your behalf. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that very removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. All of us can reflect him. Like I said, when you see me, you see Christ. That's what he's saying. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Ephesians 4.20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ now. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. It says when you learn about him, it transforms your life. Verse 22. Throw off your old sinful nature now, your former way of life, is, which is corrupted by loss and deception. He said, this kind of lifestyle that's corrupted by loss and deception, it's not what you learn when you, when, when you know Christ. It's not what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. He's teaching us about a different type of life. 24, he says, 24, he says, instead, let the Spirit now renew your thoughts and attitudes by teaching you about Christ. He renews your thoughts and your attitudes. Then you put on this new nature, this new life, this eternal life, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 
So he says, stop telling lies because that's not what you learn from Christ. He's the truth. His life cannot lie. And other things he said there about anger, letting, being anger, you know, all the anger tantrums. He said, that's not what you learned from Christ. You learn love, forgiveness, mercy, compassion. Now, the textbook that the Holy Spirit uses to teach us about Jesus, remember, it is his role in, in helping us to grow spiritually so we're like Christ. He's the one doing all of this. So he, the textbook he uses is the Bible. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What is the purpose? And it is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is a set of belief system that you can teach. You can teach it as a belief system that every Christian can believe it because the Bible says so. You can't make your personal experience a doctrine. You can't make your dream a doctrine. You can't make, you have a revelation, it's a doctrine, no. Your revelation can be in line with scripture, to God be all the glory, but you have to come back to the scripture, which is given by the inspiration of God, and read it. It's what the scripture says, that's the basis for doctrine. That's the way it works. That's what the spirit of God wrote here. So that there's no confusion. Because people can say, I had this dream, or I had this revelation. No. The standard is this one that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, written, which we can read. It's given to us for profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete now, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to help us to grow, equip us for every good works. Now, the scripture focuses on Jesus Christ. Remember that the scripture said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify about Jesus, will glorify Jesus, will take about from what belongs to Jesus, which belongs to us, and show us, you know, Show us what Jesus has done. The, the blessings we share with him. He shows to us. So we believe and enjoy them. John 5.39. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. He said, nothing will give you eternal life unless you come to Christ. So <clears throat> activities does not give eternal life. It might help you develop it as you study. But Christ is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit helps you develop it. Without Christ, you can do nothing. So your fellowship with the Holy Spirit is very key, very important. Very, very important. So he says, you cite the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures just point you to me. Keep pointing you to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. 
John the Baptist said, Behold the, son, the, 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 the Lamb of God, pointing us to God's plan, pointing us to Christ. Of his fullness we have received blessings, grace upon grace, of his fullness. Nothing is created without him. Nothing happens without him. Everything was created through him and for him. The Holy Spirit points us to him. He is God here. The Holy Spirit is God too. But the role of Jesus is what the Holy Spirit is showing us. It is his life. So it's not your life. It's not my life. He is the one to live it. The Holy Spirit points you to him. Points you to him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You want to drink? Go to him. And he will give you rivers of living water. Life will flow out of you. But he says some people will refuse to come to him because they prefer rituals. They prefer ritualism. They prefer those kind of things. Then if it's not scriptures, then it's not the Holy Spirit talking. And not just quoting scripture, but giving the current revelation of who Jesus is from other scriptures too. Remember, the whole thing is to know Christ. So when you get something that does not agree with what the other scriptures say about Jesus, then that's a lie. At the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. We must know this. Brethren, we must know this. It's not everyone that calls Jesus is led of the Holy Spirit. Not everyone. I'm telling people the truth. I have personally, before I got saved, one prayer group, oh boy, oh boy. We sang about Jesus, sang all these wonderful hymns, and this is our vision. Man, he told somebody I would marry my wife when I didn't even know my wife. Mean his vision was prompt, correct. So we thought he was a prophet of God. We we'll sing some songs that said, "As before bound by Satan in a in a life of fear and darkness, being renewed in the power of our Savior Jesus Christ." Tell me what's wrong with that? We were singing that. Miracles were happening. Nobody ever one day said, give your life to Christ. Not one day. And one day I called my wife. I said, this is not God. Something in me was not comfortable. I said, this is not God. And I went to our prophet. I said, sir, how come? You are a prophet and you are marrying many wives. That question was never answered till today. Brethren, if there is no real, there won't be fake. You can't have a fake of what doesn't exist. You can't have a fake of something that, if it doesn't exist, you can't fake it. The only thing you can fake is what exists. And the Bible says that the devil will make himself to look like angel of light. 
That's called deceit. He will copy everything you do. Copy, set up church, do everything. But his goal is something, to kill, destroy, take you away from Christ, take you away from the source of life. You just mentioned Christ, but you wouldn't know him. You call Jesus, but you don't know him. So the scripture says, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Have the courage. You owe it to yourself. If you are deceived, you pay the price. It might take a while, but one day you will see why the devil is after this. It's not to bless you. It has nothing good coming from him. It's to detach you from your faith and destroy your faith and do other terrible things. So you owe it to yourself to follow scripture. You must test them to see if the spirit they have, they have comes from God. Must do this. Why? You want to know Christ. The true testimony of Jesus comes only from the Holy Spirit. He says, for there are many false prophets in the world today. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. Now he's telling us how to find out. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. So number one, would they acknowledge that Jesus came in a bodily form? Because some people wouldn't believe that Jesus came in a They think he came as a spirit. Now if he came as a spirit, he didn't represent us because we are human beings. The Bible said, for as much as we are flesh and blood, he took him as flesh and blood to set us free. He's called the Son of Man. So that's number one test, number verse three. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, all the truth about Jesus, because they can tell you this one, yeah, but the Bible goes further. It says, if he doesn't acknowledge the truth about Jesus, if he doesn't acknowledge that he's the righteousness of God, his blood paid for our sins, and makes you work for your, for your, for your forgiveness of sin, and makes you, makes you present your own works instead of the labor of the cross, that's not God. You owe it to yourself, because the Holy Spirit said, he's faking a lot, he's all over the place. Anything that teaches you that the basis of your relationship with God is any other thing apart from Christ is the devil. It's Satan. I don't know how to put it. It's a deceiver. The only basis of our relationship with God Almighty is Christ Jesus, the sacrifice he made on the cross. The Bible says by that he opened a new and living way through which we come to God. There's no other way that God consecrated for us. Christ is the way. Anything that emphasizes what you do to have favor with God is devil. Set up. 
Favor is favor. Favor is free. Jesus paid for it. So you can have it. Anything that removes that truth and removes Jesus and puts what you do in place of Christ. Don't you understand? He said the devil. Do you have to know too much? Verse 2 again. He said, that is how you, this is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God, Number verse 3, that if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, the truth about Jesus, the testimony. The Bible says if you don't accept the testimony of God, you are calling God a liar. How can that be a Holy Spirit? That person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you had is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Verse 4, but you belong to God, my dear children, you have already won a victory over those people now because the spirit which lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Verse 5. It shows us another test. Verse 5. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's point of view, and the world listens to them. They talk from their intellectualism about what you can see, and you can see. They reason it up. You know, you have to confess your sins again and again. Every moment you confess it, it's reasoning. So it looks, yeah, after I sin, yeah. You know, but any moment you confess your sin, God will forgive you. You don't have to repeat it. You don't have to. You just don't have to. Does it make sense? It won't make sense. Because when you come to God, you, you like, okay, I need to make myself acceptable to him. No, the Bible says you're acceptable to God only because of what Christ did. That's all. That's why you say in Jesus' name, which means I'm coming on the basis of what Christ achieved for me. On his merit, not coming in my name. On his merit. If it's, if it's merit, then you can go because God accepts his merit. That's why the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. God gave us Christ's righteousness. You say, why? For God so loved the world. So these people talk from human point of view. What makes sense? And that's why people fall for it. If you, if you pray and make noise, God hears you. Yeah, it makes sense, so let's make noise now. Let's put I tell people, I say, why not get microphone, megaphone, mount it on top of your roof and hear, and they go here better. All those things that are human point of view, what human beings do that looks like it will make God look your way, satanic, demonic. The Bible says we come before God only because of what Christ did, period. If you remove Christ, you have no access to God. I don't have access to God. I will sing it. It's not by works of righteousness, but by his grace alone. But the devil will say no. Yeah, grace, yeah, grace. But there's no but. There's no but. Verse 6 says, but we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. 
Bible says wisdom is known by her children. You don't have to argue this thing. There are people who will give themselves to deceit. I don't care what you tell them. They will buy into deceit. Why? The scripture tells us why. Say they don't have the love for the truth. They've never been seeking the truth. They are seeking miracles and power and everything. The Bible says when they do that, God gives them over to deceitful spirit because that's what they desire. That's what they want. They don't love the truth. They are not interested in the truth. It's your Bible. They are not interested in the truth. Many people don't want to know Jesus. They want miracles. In, with that kind of mindset, the Bible said that you are vulnerable to deceit. You are not seeking to know the truth. He said because they don't have the love of the truth, God gives them over to deceitful spirit to deceive them. Because that's what they want. That's what they desire. There are people, no matter how you talk to them, they are going to listen to you. They won't listen to you. Because what they want is what they want. They tell you, ah, after all, God gives power to everybody. <laughs> God gives power to everybody. But there is the power of the devil. There is the power of God. And in the book of Revelation, it tells us there is a demon that assigned to this world to do miracles. There is a one assigned to this world to make people have excessive desire for luxury and money. You see some churches... All they're talking about excessive desire for luxury and money. Go read the book of Revelation and see what the Holy Spirit wrote there. That the spirit that makes people have excessive, excessive desire for luxury and money. Well, how much are you going to spend in this world? We're packing all this. <laughs> how many cars will you drive at the go? Remember, God is not a wasteful God. Isaiah 8.20. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. That's how you know. Contradict his word, they are completely in the dark. Matthew 18.16. But if he would not hear thee, okay, I've said it, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. You don't run with one verse. You have to get it in context. You have to, two or three witnesses, two or three verses. You have to get it in context. Now, God's only plan for mankind is Jesus himself. Colossians 2, 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan which is Christ himself. That's why the Holy Spirit focuses on him. Because he is the plan, brethren. No plan B. No other plan B for salvation. No other plan B. It's Christ himself. So the Holy Spirit comes to teach us this Christ himself. Who is God's plan for me and for you? In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, you know, we say that the devil speaks from human point of view because it makes sense. And that's why it attracts people. It really makes sense. Because the Bible says that the things of God is foolish to people. It's foolish. But God said, I choose the foolish things to save people. Now, look at Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. Now, 
He called this a dangerous trap. A dangerous trap. You are seeing things merely from human point of view, not from God's. Remember what we said. He said, those spirits, they make you see things from human point of view. Humanistic Christianity. After all, we are human. After all, we are, we are human now. Huh? We are human. I leave them, Jerry. We are all human beings, Jerry. Humanistic Christianity. Aren't you peculiar? Aren't you special anymore? Now, let's see a typical example how knowing who Christ is changed the life of Paul. Now, here is Paul in ignorance of Jesus. Very conversant with the law and very zealous for the law and concerning the law, perfect. But he didn't have the, he wasn't showing the character of Christ. And he knew that. In all his testimony, he was talking about his limitations. He was talking about his flesh, his body. He was seeing himself from human point of view, natural. You know, natural. He never saw Christ in him. Never. Mentioned Jesus. Never. So let's see what this man was saying. Romans 7, 14 to 25. So the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good, the trouble is with me. <laughs> Hear his testimony. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. See what he's seen. Not talking about Jesus yet. Talking about Paul. I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. How does that go for testimony? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate, but if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law is good now, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it, and I know that nothing good lives in me. He hasn't mentioned Jesus yet. He's talking about Paul, his flesh. He wants to do good. He wants to live holy. Live holy. You got to obey God. Must obey God. Call about God. And he's trying to do it. He said, I know that it's good, but I cannot do it. Can you know how many people who are struggling with this? Sincere people. They want to do good. They know what they are doing is wrong. But year in, year out, they're not changing. They are frustrated. Do you know people who do that? And the pulpit is urging them more. Do more. Do more. More. I was a victim. That's how I know. He says, uh, verse 18. 18. And I know that nothing good Let me read from here. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. So one thing to do is not the answer. I can't. Verse 19. says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do 
I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. You know Christians in this trap? Mostly what is preached from the pulpit is this pattern. Do what is right. This is what is right. A Christian should not lie. A Christian should not commit adultery. And they are lying and committing adultery, even doing more and hiding it, stealing. Yeah. You give them money to do business, in one month they are fighting. They are fighting. And they have been Christians for years. They can't stop lying. I'm telling you, verse 20. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing right. Wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Yeah. Paul, finally, I told us, said, there's this part of us that's fighting with this with. That's really fighting with this part of us. He's recognizing it now. The verse, verse 21. Verse 21. I have discovered, yeah, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, yep, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He wrote about it in Galatia. He said, there's a struggle between this power and this power. Oh, what a miserable person I am. It makes some people, they stop going to church. You know how many people are backslidden? They say it's not working. And they feel they can't fit in because they feel unholy. They can't pray. So they need a man of God who they think is holier than everybody else. Who God, a special person that God is with. And they go there. <laughs> they can't pray. They can't believe God for anything. They've never seen God walk in their life for years. They can't believe God for anything. What they see is what is natural. What happens to natural people. The natural testimony everybody has. It's nothing supernatural standing that you can say to people and they say, this has to be God. Nothing. They don't have that confidence, even in their prayer, in everything. So what a miserable person I am, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Then he said, thank God. I wish we were full here. I would have said, let's say thank God. Come on, let's say that. Thank God. He said, thank God the answer is Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit came to point us to him. That's the answer to that struggle. Stop. Jesus said, when he comes, he will testify of me. He will tell you that's the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the answer. Have you found the answer? That's why the Holy Spirit is here to teach us. That's why it's not here to teach you methods, 10 steps to do this, 10 steps to do, wake up 1 a.m. and do all those kind of jokes. It's not interested in that. The answer is Jesus Christ himself. When you find him, you find the answer to everything. He's the one God sent to solve human misery, all of it, A to Z. 
That's why I said he set us free to the uttermost, everything. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now let's hear Paul in Philippians 3, 4. Hear this man talk about Jesus. Now he has found the answer in Jesus. So what did he find? Philippians 3, 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, yeah, he used to. If anyone could indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumstanced when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law, like many people demand today. They say, be you holy for God. Say, be you holy for I'm holy. Oh, no. That, I said it. That statement doesn't make, doesn't make yourself holy. It's just like saying to somebody, be, be strong now, be courageous now. You're just telling him to act courageous. Act holy. My friend, he said, be cheerful. He said, act cheerful. Don't say, act holy. Because I'm holy, I'm giving you holiness. You can act it. That's what it means. You know, so he said, as, uh, and they said, um, I demand the straightened obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, wow, this is the way I know you need to be righteous. I obey the law without fault. So what's the struggle, Paul? I once thought these things were valuable. As some people think today. As they think today. But now I consider them worthless. Why? Paul, what did you discover? Why are they worthless? Because of what Christ has done. The Holy Spirit started showing him what Christ did. So he said, oh, this is not the way to get this thing. Boom. All of them out. Remember, I said, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit began to show him what he did set you free from this. You don't need all of this. What he did made you righteous. What he did gives you new life. You don't have to struggle. You have that life. Live it. Live it. You have it. Say, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You find the value of knowing Jesus. Have you found the value of knowing Jesus yet? Have you? Do you invest in knowing him? For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him and have fellowship with him. And his life will reflect, I'll be a reflection of him. I want to be one with him. He's all that matters now. So Paul fell in love with Jesus. He says, it's my life, it's my all and all. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. Christ became everything. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ, so 
And they experienced the mighty power that raised them from the dead. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that came to confirm that Christ is in me and manifest these things which I couldn't do with my power and overcome this power that is opposing me. That's why I say you have overcome this world because of the greater one that's in you. You need to know the greater one. And he says, well, if necessary, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 18. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe now, you see, it's no more talking of I do, I do. It's not talking of what he believes. Believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. Now, I'm talking about the new life that Jesus gave him. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life we no longer live for themselves. Problem solved. They will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from human point of view. The devils will want to evaluate things from human point of view. Paul said, no, no, don't go there. No, 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 no. You are a new creature. You don't see it, but that's you are. You have a new life. So we'll stop evaluating ourselves from human point of view. Remember, he said, oh, I'm all human. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not. Forget it. He said, I'm a new creature now. I don't evaluate myself from human point of view. He said, I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. He's now living by faith. What he believes starts manifesting. No struggle. He has entered the rest. Starts manifesting. The life Christ begins to manifest. He became a reflection of Christ. That new nature does not respond to sin. If you respond to sin, you align your flesh to control you. Period. There are no two ways about it. Christ does not respond to sin. His nature doesn't respond to sin. That's why I say we are dead to sin. If you allow, if you are responding, because you are tilting to the flesh, you love what the flesh is doing. So you, you are allowing him control. You want to know what that is true? Let them give you poison. To, you will never drink poison. There's no question of your flesh. You know, because you don't like it. So it, it's now a question of what you love. If you love the Lord, you tilt and let him control. If you love the world, the world controls you. God has done his own. Make your choice. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you again for what you are teaching us tonight. The need to allow the Holy Spirit to grow us to be like Christ. It's not a religious thing. It's really a power thing. It's an activity of your spirit. It's Christ, the answer. It's cross. It's the blood. It's what he did on the cross. Destroy the power of sin. And set us free. You ought just to live in this freedom. For whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. We don't have to struggle again. We are free, really. We thank you for these revelations that you are showing us. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name we pray.